to X-Ray FM at KXRY Portland at 107.1 and 91.1 FM streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. Morning everyone. This is Ambush and you're listening to X-Ray in the Morning. Today on X-Ray we'll talk to David Graham about his article in the Atlantic called All Crime is Local. At 7:30 it's Daily News with my fiance. Then we'll have an interview with some folks working on the campaign to recall Ted Wheeler. And every Thursday at 8.45, it's our weekly update from Alex Zielinski of the Portland Mercury. This week, Alex will call in live from Laurelhurst Park. Morrell Inc. I'm sorry. <laughs> support for Morrell Inc. Uh, support for X-Ray FM comes from Morrell Inc., a union shop which employs 30 employees in Northeast Portland. Morrell Inc. offers commercial printing, direct mail, and promotional products. More information online at morrellinc.biz. Morrell Inc. Print anything, mail anywhere. The views and opinions expressed on X-Ray in the morning are those of the, of the commentators and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of X-Ray FM. Any content provided by our DJs and commentators are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone, or anything. First up, we'll have our interview with David Graham. Stay tuned. Feel free. 
is supported by our sponsors and by our members. To join the movement and become a member, go to our website and click on the big blue donate button. And thanks. i 
Good morning, everybody. Morgan Jones here. Based on media coverage of the protests last summer, many Americans assumed Portland was a ravaged war zone with anarchists roaming the streets. Many Portlanders have, have thought the same. But most of those Portlanders would have looked out their windows and thought that the neighborhood they lived in was actually pretty safe. According to polling numbers, that sentiment is prevalent (laughs) across the country. Most Americans think crime is a major problem, but most Americans also think crime isn't a problem in their communities. Here to talk about that inconsistency and discuss his latest article, All Crime is Local, is staff writer for The Atlantic, David A. Graham. Good morning and welcome, David. Good morning. I hope you're doing well today. I am. Great. Great. Uh, My first question. Eight out of 10 Americans think crime is a major problem, worse than health care or poverty. But the numbers don't reflect that. What are some of the actual crime numbers around the country? Well, you know, it's hard for us to know exactly because the numbers that we get are really bad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, we, we get really incomplete numbers. We get some things reported from some cities. Uh, the federal government only tracks some of these things, uh, and it tracks them sort of on a, a late basis. So, you know, what we know is that um, murder is up um, around the country in, in communities of all sizes. We know that violent crime seems to be up. Overall, though, most other crimes seem to be down. So it's sort of a mixed picture. Wow. Why Do you have any idea about uh, why the federal government's tracking is so iffy? Well, there's a few things. Like one, the way that the laws are written, a lot of the reporting from departments is um, is you know it's voluntary. So some departments report mm-hmm. things, some things, some don't. Also, the ways they report that vary. You know, different departments will categorize things in different ways because we have we have something like eighteen thousand police departments in this country, and and they all do things a little bit differently. Um, so it's just really fragmented, which makes it hard to get a clear picture. And I think the FBI, which does the, the number crunching just it it takes a while for them to compile everything and so you know we won't get final numbers about uh crime in 2020 until uh probably august or september wow okay i can understand that (laughs) (laughs) uh so why do americans have such a skewed perspective on the actual situation i think a lot of it probably comes down to uh media and politicians so you know we we can look out our doors and we know what's going on in our neighborhood um, but then if we turn on the news, we see reports about crime in other places. We see politicians sort of trying to uh, get people whipped up into a frenzy about it. Mm-hmm. And the result is that people think that crime is really bad, but it must just be really bad somewhere other than where they live. And they just sit with that, huh? <laughs> like when we just believe it. <laughs> uh, so what are some of the potential legal or political or cultural implications of having this perception of the crime rate? Well, I think it could go a couple of directions. You know, the the um, I, you know one possibility is people could look at this and say, you know, well, I, I think things are safe here, but um, I I think that things are really bad nationwide, and what we need is for um, the government to really throw the book at people um, and to crack down and, and pursue really tough on crime policies. And you know, the experience that we've seen from previous tough on crime policies is in, in a lot of cases they don't necessarily work as intended, and they have a lot of negative side effects, like mass incarceration, like civil liberties violations. Yeah. The other alternative, which is the, I think a, you know maybe a better one, would be that people could look around and say, well, I'm worried about crime nationally, but I, you know I see things in my community as being uh, not as bad, and and so that offers an opportunity for people to kind of pursue 
local solutions to crime. And we know that sometimes crime moves in um, in national trends. And, and, you know, like, for example, murder being up in a lot of places last year. But on the other hand, the factors behind crime tend to be local. The agencies that fight crime are local. And so a lot of times the best solutions for, for dealing with it are also local solutions. And they're more targeted rather than the sort of sweeping tough on crime things we see from um, state and federal governments. Sure. Uh, how can this start to affect our day-to-day life, that misperception of what's actually going on? Well, you know, people are, are worried about crime. Um, I think it, you know, it affects the sort of uh, candidates they vote for, but it also affects what they'll do. I mean, it affects pe- whether people are willing to go out and, and go out in their neighborhoods and what they're willing to do. It affects local businesses. It affects sort of cultural cohesion. So I think mm-hmm. having a, a realistic impression of what's going on and, and, you know, whether it's really dangerous for you to step outside your house is really important to the health of communities. You know, basically, if people think communities are unhealthy, it can make them unhealthy even if they aren't actually. So that's, I think, why that perception is so important. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's very real. It's sort of it's <laughs> like you manifest it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, scary. In your article, you cite a piece by Deborah Sarani where she says, quote, capitalistic motives associated with journalism has forced much of today's television news to look to look to the spectacular, the stirring and the controversial as news stories. It's no longer a race to break the story first or get the facts right. Instead, it's to acquire good ratings in order to get advertisers so that profits soar. What role does the press and media play in this perception and these implications? You know, you talk to people who study uh, uh, criminology and, and the sociology of crime, they tend to put a lot of this on the press. And it's this idea, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. Mm. Um, and so that's what tends to get on newscasts, local newscasts uh, especially, but also national newscasts. And I think because we, you know, we, we don't tell stories about when things are going well because they're they're not news, but we tell things about we tell stories when things are going poorly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and I think the result is it sort of skews people's perceptions. You know, you mentioned what's going on with you in Portland, and I think you see this all over the place. I, you know, I remember um, even 10 years ago, I was living in New York City during Occupy Wall Street, and, and people mm. would be like, wow, that must be really crazy to be in New York. And it's like, no, that's like one small part of New York. <laughs> this isn't everywhere. And I, I think people just don't, you, you don't get that kind of context when you're seeing the news, especially if you're seeing news from somewhere else. Oh, that's so such a good example because I remember during Occupy, it looked crazy. And I had friends there that were like, we haven't even seen it. <laughs> like, exactly. Don't even have any idea. <laughs> um, that's, that's just so funny to me. Um, you also point out in your article that, quote, older white Americans are both least likely to be victims of crime and also most likely to believe that they are at risk. This ties closely with a line from later in the article that says, quote, when crime scares you but isn't in your neighborhood, supporting drastic, drastic measures is much easier. Can you talk to me about this? Uh, <laughs> why? Why? Yeah, I mean, you know. You, oh, go ahead. I, no, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, why uh, might this be? Like, what? how do you get to the place that you are the least affected but the most scared? <laughs> I mean, I think it's a it's a complicated question. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, you know, there's a um, uh, like 
the, you know, the racial question is really important. Like, and it, it, that's something embedded in American society, sort of racial atmosphere. Um, I think um, older people are more likely to consume news. Um, so they're more susceptible to the sort of press stuff that we've been talking about. Um, uh, I think older people are more cautious and younger people are less likely to, you know, it's a classic, less people, younger people feel just more invincible. So there's a lot of, like there's there's everything from sort of basic human uh, psychology to like the the long sweep of American history pushes into that. We also know that older whiter people tend to often be driving policy in this country, and so if those are the people who are most afraid about crime and who are least affected by it, it you know it, it's more likely that they're going to push punitive policies that um, don't affect them personally, but do affect a lot of us. Yeah. And I always wonder what happens when someone in their family is then affected by those very harsh policies. Is that a accident or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just someone got caught up in the wrong system? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's a, an accident that, that, you know, people who, who um, are more affected by these policies are, also, you know, less likely to be concerned about it and less likely to sort of take this, uh, you know, take this, this really deep concern that we see from, from other parts of the population. Amazing. Uh, th there's just a, yeah, that's just fascinating to me. <laughs> uh, what are some of the possible ways to remedy the discrepancy between perception and reality? How do we get to a different point? Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it is, is um, being aware of things like this. You know, I, I hope that sort of by pointing out that helps. I think it's a positive sign that people know that their communities are safer. Um, you know, I think one thing we need to do is, is see um, just a, a better coverage of crime and better context of crime. So, you know, I, I think you see this a lot just in the last few months. We know that um, murder and violent crime are up in this country over where they were, say, two years ago. But we also know that they're way down from where they were, say, 15 and 20 years ago. And I think it's really important to include that context. Yes, in some cases there is more danger. No, I don't think we should um, we should ignore crime. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a question of saying, well, it doesn't matter if people are getting murdered. It obviously does matter. But I think we need to keep it in context and understand that. Um, and, and once we have that, we can sort of think a little bit more carefully about what sorts of policies can get to that. And over the years, you know, we, we have learned how some policies are effective and we've learned how others are not. And, and we can think about targeting those things in ways that are most likely to actually keep people safe instead of simply to send people to prison. I love that. How do we get that context in the in TV news? You know, like, uh, what do we do? Do we have to uh, do a petition? <laughs> because I I think context is incredibly important. And like you said, understanding the the variances um, will absolutely you know give you a more well rounded understanding and scope of what's going on and. If we're not getting that now and we need it, how do we get it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think part of it is sort of choosing carefully about where you consume news. Um, you know, thinking, you know, thinking about what what the places you're getting news from are are, uh, are giving you and what they're leaving out. You know, there's a, I think there's a little bit of awareness of this in in some parts of the press too. Um, we ran a great story in the Atlantic a, a little while back about um, concerns by local news. You know, companies that run local news stations about how to grab on to younger audiences. You know, they see that the people who are watching are older and whiter, and they want to be able to appeal to a broader swath of the population. And in some of these experiments, what they found is that people want um, less of the sort of sensationalist crime coverage, 
they want better contextualization and so on and so forth. So that's a place where if viewers are, are demanding it and, uh, and TV stations want to get that those eyeballs, um, they may start to respond to that. So I think that's a, a positive sign if still kind of an early one. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering if, um, oh, I just, you know, do you ever have a moment where you just lose your question? I just totally lost All my question. Time. I saw it in my <laughs> head and then it just completely went away. Um, sorry about that. Uh, no is there anything else you'd like to add or, uh, you know, give our listeners a, uh understanding of where they can find you online? Well, you know, I, I think we've covered a lot of it. I, I really appreciate these questions. Um, you, know, you can find my stuff uh, on theatlantic.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at, um, at Graham David A. And um, please read me if you're interested. Fantastic. Thank you so much, David. Take care. It's been great talking to you. This has been David A. Graham talking about his latest article, All Crime is Local. You can find more of his writing at The Atlantic. Thanks for joining us.
X-Ray.fm is supported by People's Food Co-op. Since 1970, People's has worked to offer responsibly sourced products at fair prices. Working with over 40 local farms to provide fresh, organic, farm-direct produce year-round. People's is collectively managed by community members throughout Portland. Located on Southeast 21st Avenue between Powell and Division, People's is open 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. during the COVID-19 pandemic. There is a 10 shopper limit in store. More information at their location on Southeast 21st Avenue and online at peoples.coop. Ambush and Morgan Jones and News My Fiance. You can text us at 971-220-5979. That's 971-220-5979. Include your name if you want, otherwise we will make one up. All X-Ray in the Morning episodes are available on our archive at SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash X-Ray in the Morning and in the podcast app. And now it's time for News of My Fiance. Baby. You 
morning. It's X-Ray in the morning. This is News of My Fiance with myself, DJ Ambush, and Morgan Jones. Good morning, MJ. What up, what up, what up? Yeah. Good morning. Oh, man. Uh, so for anyone that just tuned in, you did miss the interview with David Graham. Uh, thanks for knocking that out, MJ. Yeah, everybody needs that. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody should read that article. Uh, all crime is local. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's uh, he's giving some great context to why we don't really know the what's actual happening. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that the reporting is voluntary and yeah, throw the know, whole thing away. It just comes in whenever it feels like. Throw it. the whole thing away. You get to just be like, oh, I remember now. I should have reported that crimes right. thing. Right. Is is it reporting? Do we get to count it as reporting when it's haphazard, scattered, and voluntary? I feel like you can't do that with a book report. Why should you be able to do that with crime reports? <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. <laughs> America. <laughs> reporting all willy-nilly. Mm. I think it's a, a good thing. He said uh, there's 18,000 police, uh, you know, organizations. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I should say now, I don't have my words. There are no <laughs> words in my brain. I'm just going to be along for the ride today. <laughs> and if I can read correctly, <laughs> we'll all be lucky or happy. I don't know. One of the two. When you said there's 18,000. Yeah. Uh, that is such a a good reminder that like there's no way they're connected. You know, 18,000 different factions. They're all doing a little bit their own way, you know. It's jazz. Well, this is how we do it in South Dakota, and this is how we do it in North Dakota, and uh, this is how we do, you know, like, and how different are they per county? There's just, I right. know that, or city, I just, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. It's 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 jazz, man, you know? Put your own <laughs> spin on it. <laughs> you guys might be, some of you might be old enough to remember Cop Rock. This is a little different. I don't know what that means. You remember Cop Rock. Okay, all right. Do you remember references to Cop Rock? I don't know what that is. <laughs> Wait a what minute. What is that? <laughs> Cop Rock. If anyone remembers Cop Rock, text in. Cop Rock used to be a show. Came on primetime. It was a musical. So think no. like think like SVU or think Law and Order. Don't don't. Yeah, no, no, I won't, I won't. I won't. I won't take your crap on SVU. But think about like Law and Order, like the very first one. But it was a musical. I mean, I do love crime, and I do love musicals. <laughs> you do. Could this have worked? No. <laughs> this was so bad. I don't want to watch anything that's called cop rock. That oh, sounds yeah like the last place I want to be. No, it was bad. It was. Was bad. it a different? So wait, you this mean to tell me this too. was a this was a weekly show? Yeah. That was a weekly musical. I mean, how did they do it? It was bad. How did they? Like, we're talking prime time on one of the big threes. It was, yeah, it was it was a thing. It was a serious thing. Cop I can't rock. wait to see if anybody texts in about this. <laughs> Is Ambush lying? Yeah. Is he making this up? Is he trying to get us to think there's something called a cop rock? <laughs> Are they going to bring? Oh, yeah. my God. There's a thing called a cop rock. I'm surprised they haven't tried to bring it back yet. Are you looking at the cast? Are you being surprised by the people who who made themselves a part of Cop Rock? I am. <laughs> you guys can see your face. First of all, 
you weren't lying. There no. is Nebraska. There is absolutely a show called Cop Rock. Yeah. IMDb has it at 4.3 out of 10. I'm surprised it's got uh, that high. Seriously. First episode date, September 26th. It was an early birthday present to you. 1990. <laughs> oh, freshman year high school for me, guys. Theme music composed by none other than Randy Newman himself. <laughs> you guys, my mind is being blown right now. This is not any of our news. We, do, no. we haven't gotten to anything that matters. <laughs> But boy, oh boy, I had no idea. Yeah. You learn something new every day. Oh, it was on ABC. That's what, hello. Okay. Yes, this was not. Opening theme, Under the Gun. <laughs> oh, boy. So now, so now we got to check it out. Yep. Yes. Guess what I'm doing when we get in the car. <laughs> wow. Well, okay, I'll hop into our lead story now. Because uh, <laughs> I've given you, guys the, given you guys the goods and a little bit of homework. Yeah. A little bit of homework there. Uh, maybe we'll do a rewatch first season. The no, co- we no, we won't. No, Not we won't. That. No, In we a won't. press conference on Wednesday, <laughs> <laughs> Speaker Nancy Pelosi said that President Biden does not have the legal authority to forgive federal student loan debt. Boo. Thanks, Nance. <laughs> Thanks. According to her, while Biden can postpone or delay debt repayment, canceling student loans altogether is, quote, an act of Congress. Ironically, Pelosi's words directly contradict those of Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Just one day before Pelosi's press conference, Schumer, along with Senator Elizabeth Warren and Representative Ayanna Pressley, urged Biden to extend the pause on student loan payments. Schumer also said that Biden has the power to cancel up to $50,000 in student loan debt, adding, quote, All President Biden has to do is sign it. Make America a happier, better, more prosperous place. Talk to him, Chuck. Hello. Following the press conference, Pelosi has faced intense criticism. Many people were especially outraged by her comment that Americans would be, quote, paying taxes to forgive somebody else's obligation. Boo. That was the sound of my eyes rolling back in my head. According to one college graduate named Heather Jotchins, quote, I'm more than happy to fulfill my obligation. Can you please redirect the tax dollars that go towards corporate bailouts and military spending to federal loan debt, please, and thank you. Heather took my quote. Nancy. That's how I feel. Nance. (laughs) Facts. Nance. Nance. Here's the thing. You could have not said anything, but you chose to say something. So whomst are you trying to please? Like well, what's 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 the deal here? Well, what this does more than anything for me is what's the point of having everybody? What's the point of having the power? Right. What's the point of having all of the power if you're not going to then use it to do something for good? Right. Right. And if it's an act of Congress, how come you're not whipping votes to get it passed? Why, why don't you talk about that, Nance? Nance. I'm I just um, I mean the amount of money that she has an amassed <laughs> to talk about paying taxes to forgive someone else's obligation man what man man miss ma'am I I believe it's a bad scarf day for her okay 
What? Listen, when Nance doesn't have the right scarf on, it throws Mm. everything off. Mm. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. She's got those expensive fridges and her ice cream. (laughs) 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 It's just really, it's really uh, disappointing and disheartening when you got all the power and you're like, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do anything with this power, so. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're making an excellent point. We watch the Republicans do everything they can with the power. And then we're just We watch them block warm. power when they didn't have it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and now we're just keeping it warm for. The next time that, they, I mean, we know, like it's cyclical right yeah. like we you give you give folks the opportunity to represent you you sit on the power you sit on your hands you don't do enough and then they vote the other way yep yep so now what? because nothing happened there and then you're like oh no we lost our majority yeah yeah you did <laughs> And now they're just doing whatever they want. And I don't want to see that happen, Nance. I want to see uh, some some power plays happening. That's what I want to say. Not this way. Not the, I'm going to use my power to withhold everything. From. Speaking of power plays, who is in the running for Nance's position? Who should we be supporting? Who's Who should we have on the t-shirt right now? Because we need her up out of here. Well, hopefully Shahid Batar will uh, unseat her. <clears throat> when he becomes a congressperson. There it is. Uh, I don't know about Speaker of the House, but she's she's incredibly powerful. So for her to be like, yeah, that guy can't do that thing. He's going to need me over here. Great. Do you know you guys are on the same team? <laughs> no. No. Do you have any no. idea that both of y'all are uh, got the same letter? Nance Don't y'all caucus together? Nance versus the squad. <laughs> she's never aware of whose team she's on. Oh, ever. All she wants to do is do her little her little camera clap. The petty clap. The petty clap. Mm-hmm. Rock the rock the scarf and remind us that she is not with the people. Man. Because this is ridiculous. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Pretty pretty bad. I mean, I'm pretty sure not just Democrats have no, student, student loan loans. Bruh. This is a very, very easily way, easy way to uh, bring some more support to the base. Oh, I think this is what they call one of those um, bipartisan issues. Wouldn't this be a great time, Nance, to get right on top of that, that reaching across that aisle? Hmm. Huh? Bipartisan issue. Everybody's going to benefit. Good bipartisan issues. Okay. Is that what you meant? Is that type of buy? This isn't the buy you meant buy away. I'm over it. I'm over it, Nance. I need you out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I just need. Yeah. I, I need. I need. It's just time to retire. Yeah. You know, like, just uh, it'd be great if you'd step down, but I know you won't. And go to the view. Go somewhere else oh. where you can re, you know, we can reimagine and forget, you know, kind of like Bush did. You can go painting and then all of a sudden, you know, he's cool again. Like, she needs to go do something else. She will be rehabbed, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. All the scars. Okay. <laughs> Moving forward. A third dose of the Pfizer vaccine has been shown to boost immunity against the highly contagious Delta variant. 
On Wednesday, Dr. Mikhail Dolston, head of worldwide research at Pfizer, said their data revealed that a third dose led to a substantial increase in the antibodies needed to protect against COVID. According to Dr. Dolston, in a recent trial, people between the ages of 18 to 55 developed five times more antibodies following their third dose. Among people between the ages of 65 to 85, the increase in antibodies was nearly 12 times higher. Mm. Dr. Dolston added that Pfizer would be submitting their findings to the FDA, along with the recommendation that a third shot come approximately six months after the first two. He and his team of researchers believe that six months after the second dose marks the point when the shot's protection against COVID begins to wane. Pfizer has also stated that people who had three doses of their vaccine showed a boost in immunity that was 100 times higher than that of unvaccinated people. Come through, Dolston. <laughs> Doc Dolston, come through. Yes. <laughs> if anyone can tell, I am pro-vax. <laughs> I'm not sure if you guys have been tuning in. You're a dirty there. vaxxer. Uh, listen. Wow, dirty. <laughs> I, gonna say, I don't know if anyone's been paying attention to us over the last couple of weeks. We're, we're, we're pro-vax over here on this side of the morning. I wonder, um, since I got the Johnson & Johnson and am a... Um, 5G tower? Walking 5G tower. She's not lying about this, guys. I wonder if uh, there's going to be a booster shot for me, or am I just out in the dark, guys? <laughs> Is there a... <laughs> Am I? I'm just one of the four people that got that shot. <laughs> <laughs> Me. <laughs> Are we gonna be okay? Dang. Any J and J Jers out there? Any J and Jers? Can you guys try to? Y'all all right out there? Any of y'all got kids? <laughs> I'm definitely. Any of y'all magnets? Your <laughs> keys sticking to your necks? Yeah, I'm definitely. Mm. Uh, I'm. I, I got questions. I'd like to know if. Uh, if I could get a, a boost? I think you can. I think you can. Uh, I'm just going to start collecting all of them, like you said. I'm just going to get one of <laughs> like everything. Like Pokemon? Yeah, I mean, Infinity all. Stone, whichever way yeah. you want to put it. Yeah. I think maybe that'll be my next thing to do. So there have been some conversations around um, the moral implications of us having conversations around... Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Nebraska. Sorry. <laughs> Nebraska. <laughs> the booster shot. Nebraska, first of all, is funny AF. Uh, she said the, the booster shot is uh, a USB charger. <laughs> Turn it to a USB charger now. Oh, you can just do like wireless charging to your phone. I'm absolutely fine with this. All your devices are staying charged more longer than they normally would. I, I see all the science in this. I see it. It's yeah. there. It's there. Yeah. So sorry to <laughs> cut you off there. No, there have been conversations about what it looks like for us to be talking about booster shots here in the United States when there are still nations that are under vaccinated. Hello. And that don't have the proper resources to be vaccinated. So, yeah, um, I didn't even consider that, you know, yeah, that part of the equation. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. That's, yeah, it's a pretty good point. It's a pretty good point. But also, um, with all the resources that we do have here, I need y'all to get vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> Let's quit yeah, playing, y'all. <laughs> yeah. I need y'all to get vaccinated. We need to get our numbers up. This Delta vi- variant isn't Delta by itself. Like, 
It's getting a lot of help. It's getting a lot of help. It's getting a and it's just traveling. It's just doing its job. It's moving about the country. T- to be clear, the virus's job is to infect you and <laughs> infect you as bad as it can. And then just to keep mutating so that it just gets more powerful in its job of infecting you with the sick. You know, <laughs> you know what really grinds my gears? Uh-oh. The people that will be complaining the most when we have to go back to mandates are the unvaccinated. Oh, absolutely. That's what really, you guys are in direct control. Get our numbers up. I mean, we absolutely, I'm I'm going to go out and say it. Say it. We absolutely need a another mandated lockdown. This is out of hand. What has happened <laughs> is we, you know, economied our way to the Delta variant. Yeah. And we were like, but I got to have my workers working. <laughs> my workers got to work. My workers got to work. I got to, we got to pay that rent. Wow. Right. And, uh, and we're in this rush to reopen. There was a whole ceremony that, uh, uh we can talk about that later uh, when we talk about the uh, total recall that is Oh, yeah. Happening. But oh, wow. a whole celebration yeah. of look at downtown and the city center and come on down and it's shiny and new. <laughs> it's not shiny. Fam, you know how many people have the coronavirus? Yeah. And they're just walking around, no mask, because, oh, I'm outside. <clears throat> and my city has reopened. Or, 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 or. I've already contracted COVID, so. Oh, my, one of my I faves. I've had it, so. I've had it, so. Much like, you know, the chicken pox. I could never get it again. Mm-mm. Crystal said, if politicians didn't play with people's lives and more Americans got with the program, we could power the Western Seaboard and you get a free cell tower. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Crystal. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, we the the playing with people's lives is really uh, what, what the big focus there. Yeah. And like David was saying, just how we uh, sort of you know, if it bleeds, it leads, and and we go with the trauma instead yep. of the joy. Yeah. Um, we know that people are you know most impacted and called to act based out of fear. Mm. So. why folks aren't scared of dying but they're scared of like the government <laughs> coming to get them I mean it's like I don't want you coming to my door to give me a, a poke in the arm you'll steal my guns next like guess what they know where you live anyway yeah, yeah. remember that phone in your hand remember it you're looking at it right now. Right. That's the one. That's, That's the how chip. they know where you at. That's the chip. It's not. They don't have to put it in your arm. No. You willingly bought it. You spent yeah. $1,000 for it. Some of you would remove your arm and still keep your phone in the other hand. Like it's, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of We worry of about like, the wrong things. Yeah. But, but going back to your point about fear being a motivator. Um, in the interview, uh, the new podcast episode of Ask a Black Doctor that we'll post tomorrow morning. Um, I asked uh, our, our host, not our host, <laughs> our guest on the show, Dr. Uh, Christopher Evans from OHSU. I said, do we think it's time to now start having more conversations 
about the side effects of COVID and what it means to live with COVID. Mm. Because before it was, there was a great amount of fear around getting it. Everyone was rushing to get antibody tests and I got to get the vaccine. And then once the vaccine was in abundance, it was like, ah, I don't really you know, need it. A lot it. of people got it, it already. You know, and so. this person survived it. And there's herd immunity. But what people, what I don't think is, you know, being talked about enough is, okay, yes, people are surviving COVID, but they're, they're never themselves again. Yeah. There's a great there's a great amount of people that have long-standing side effects. So let's start talking about what it means to live with COVID, to survive the initial infection, but then you, this is what the rest of your life looks like. Do you want that? Right. You don't? Uh, go get paid to get vaccinated. Go get paid to get vaccinated. Well, you ain't gonna bribe me. No. What's, Free will, brother. What's in it that you're trying to pay me to do it? It's gotta it's, be a gotta mm-mm. be an operation there. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Somebody said I heard that ambush said row. He, sure. did. he did. I did. I heard it too. Wait. He was trying to say right and you uh, and your uh, it was a, a syntax error. Uh, uh, but I also heard it. <laughs> uh uh. Uh oh. Crystal sent another photo. Oh, uh, puppy photos. Beans. Beans says that she's jealous of kittens. Ah. It reminds you to keep your dog paws off hot ki- hot concrete these next few days. Yo, I started seeing some posts about that um, when we had that, you know, what was it, 115, 118 <coughs> a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I started seeing some posts on Instagram. I was like, hey. Uh, that cement's hot for your, your pet's paws. Yeah. And I was like, oh, never even. Wow. Sheesh. Yeah, things I don't think about because we don't have pets. And also, I don't walk outside without shoes. So I don't even think about okay. how hot that concrete is. No, I'm not doing that. No, it's not a thing. Not a thing at all. Uh, we don't talk about the weather much here, but I just looked at it because you said this. And um, pass. Or today or uh, tomorrow? To mi- <laughs> Winter me, please. I am over this. <laughs> okay. It's no, don't winter me. Yeah, I'm ready. I, I think you forgot the winters are a lot less milder here than they used to be. It they're not 115 degrees. They're not 95. They're not 97. They're all this too much. Could you I mean fall me? Could you could you could uh, you get falled first before you're wintered? Yeah. It's too hot. I gotta cool down. I don't even feel bad about it. Freeze me. <laughs> like, I'm not... I'm, I am over this. Oh, yeah. How do I survive? I don't even feel bad about it. No, freeze me. Put me in the cryo chamber. No. Um, yes. Mm-mm. Holla at me. In the, you can wake me up at the end of September. Because <laughs> I can't do it. This new sun, this new, like, no wind. I Hard pass. Yeah, and, and you know, the potential wildfires... Terrifying. I I'm I'm glad we've made it this far. Nothing's happened yet. Where is the I I need to know what the window is. It's am I still am I being too excited too early? Yeah, there's already there are wildfires happening. What? Well, I mean, not did you chill? No, <laughs> I mean not like what we experienced last previously. Year where, previously, yes, where we had the worst air quality on the planet. I saw in New York some of our wildfire smoke yes. got got there. Yeah, I don't know how we missed it, but it um, 
what a, a weather system took it directly to the East Coast, <laughs> and it was looking like L.A. over there. It was like, you guys. <laughs> you can have this. Let me help you out. Let me help you out with, with your air quality. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so I'm grateful for that. Employees at Activision Blizzard Studios left their shifts on Wednesday in protest of the company's widespread sexual harassment and gender discrimination. According to them, Activision Blizzard has been a prejudicial and unsafe workplace for years, with many employees describing it as (coughs) frat-like. Excuse me. In a civil lawsuit filed last week, women workers said they were harassed, groped, and objectified on a regular basis. Mm. Many of the women said attempts they made to complain to HR were spread around to the rest of the staff and publicly mocked. Others said their supervisors retaliated against them by refusing them promotions and equal pay. In response to the suit, the company released an initial statement which referred to employees' claims as, quote, meritless and an untrue picture. (sighs) The CEO of Activision, Bobby Kotick, later apologized for the statement and published a second note which promised some changes but failed to directly name the harassment that occurred. (coughs) Burn it down. Burn it down. Throw the whole thing away. It all. Throw it all away. What do you mean? In what regard do we get to call that frat-like? I think I think that's a really good description, though. Because frat-like, to me, is all of the horrible things I'm imagining that's happening there. Mm-hmm. But there is a an element of boys will be boys to frat-like. Mm-hmm. There's an, a, an element mm-hmm. of that's locker room talk. Mm-hmm. There, You know, that... It's dismissible. It is not that big of a deal. Because, yeah, man, that's what we do at the frat. <laughs> like, NBD. Quick pause. You're listening to X-Ray FM at KRXLY, Portland at 107.1 and 91.1 FM. Streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. Bam. Nailed it at 8. <laughs> now, I see your point. Okay. Because to me, you're right. Um, there is a... Eh, this is what happens at frats. Boys will be boys. What do you expect? Right. That's that's that. Yeah. That's reading. I was like, well, yeah. This is. We've heard about this, but a lot of people haven't heard about this type of Also, I'm at, at work, so you don't get to frat like nothing when I'm at work. At my job. At my, at my GD job. In what world do you do these? Uh, <laughs> sorry, tried to gather it. myself. No, kick it. In what world do men think that they get to go to work and just grab women and just grope and objectify in verbally, physically? Why? I mean, I know it's our world, so I. Right. <laughs> but seriously, what age bracket do y'all grow out of that? Like, how? In what? How? That's scary. Because. If your mom came home and said, I was at work today and this man grabbed my butt and I just had to take it. What do you do? Right. What do you think? What do you feel? I I hate to do the if your mom, if your sister. Right. It should never be. Should it never has to, to be. be a person that you know in order for it to matter to you. Yeah. But sometimes that's the case. And I need to I got to know. How you can think that that is fine. Like you, so much so that you may not even think about what you've done that day. 
You know, you're at work, you leave work, you've moved on, mm. you're at happy hour with your buddies, and you've spent the day groping every woman that walked past you. Because that's what your work day is. That's what it means for you to be at work. You're a terrorist. Yeah. Yeah. It's that simple. Like yeah. that, uh, burn yeah. the whole thing down. Yeah. I mean, and I. Because when your CEO says, let's Meritless. uh let's let's uh we're gonna change a few things but we're not gonna directly address what happened you don't mean it for the official response the initial response to be it's this meritless and untrue picture right no one <laughs> believes that and I'm gonna circle back to the first point you made about the frat like behavior uh, I, I really understand. I'm, I'm not really finding the words to communicate how serious and how great a point that is, because just reading the the title for this story to me it was like doy doy. This is a gaming company. That that's the like almost excusing it from the writ. Like right. that's yeah. Of course they're doing this. This is a gaming company. Like what? What do we do Gamergate for if we're still doing this? Like, didn't we, didn't we address this? Right, right. This is horrible. This is this is Activision. This is a pretty large company here. It's scary. Yeah, scary. <laughs> On Wednesday, Governor Andrew Cuomo announced that state employees will need to either be vaccinated or undergo weekly testing. According to Cuomo, the mandate will go into effect on September 6th. He also clarified that frontline workers at state hospitals will not be able to opt out of getting vaccinated. A similar mandate has already been put in place in California, where cases are currently surging. New York is now witnessing its own spike, with health officials reporting a 400% increase in infections within the last month. Mm. Officials say the number of daily vaccinations has slowed considerably, despite all of the incentives they've put out, including free subway rides, scholarships, and cash. Cuomo, who announced the mandate via a Zoom call, referred to it as, quote, smart, fair, and in everyone's interest. You stepping down is in everyone's interest. Thank you. Go away. That's, that's smart, that's my interest. fair, and in everyone's <laughs> interest. <laughs> Go away. Go away. Step down, sir. Um... They give him free subway rides? I want to talk about... So we already started about uh, what are we doing, right? But, like, cases are surging. And every state is, like, must reopen. Going to just continue on with the plan here. Um, we've already started. You know, it's kind of like, well, we put the date on the calendar, and so we can't, we can't pull that back. Right. Except for the Delta Delta Inn. <clears throat> it's out here having all of the fun. Yeah. It's going to Miami Beach. It's spring breaking. Why are we pretending like it's, it's over? It's at Tulum. How do we? Poolside. <laughs> Poolside. <laughs> it's, going to, it's going to Coachella. Like, it's out here. Delta's on tour. Flying Spirit. Okay. <laughs> hmm? That was pretty good. All right. But why are we pretending that COVID is over? Like, as we're begging people to get vaccinated, 
as we're offering incentives everywhere, but still saying, must reopen, things must return to normal. You have to have one before the other. Yeah. And we, we know that because we're doing it not the right, <laughs> in the right order, and we're seeing cases surge. And we're seeing people being sicker, right? Like the, the unvaccinated folks are getting sick, sick. Mm-hmm. If you're vaccinated and you get this variant, you are lucky enough to not get crazy sick. What's well, I guess it's not lucky. You're, you've you've done the science. Yeah, you, you yeah. <laughs> um, so what's really kind of scary to me is you know the repolitization of all of this and what this means moving forward. So we know um, that old weirdo is definitely going to make another run in twenty twenty four, and. He was. I don't know. Those rallies looking pitiful. Uh, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> he went from anti-mask to now I have it, <laughs> and now I've I done warp it. speed, a warp speed presentation of the vaccine, and look how many lives I'm saving. To you know, well, we're all good. Don't wear masks at my rally. Um. A lot of people who would not align themselves with him are starting to push around the same rhetoric. Well, are these numbers real? And do we really need to shut back down? I want to know. Oh, it, was, it always surprises me when people who are in my circle or even circle adjacent, if you will, uh, come with those conspiracies and come with those right-wing talking points that they aren't from aren't aware of right-wing talking points and they're having these conversations with people that may be in the middle and it's like you're doing the devil's work here guys yeah you're doing the devil's work you're whipping up votes for the wrong side on some on some realness um we really need everyone to just pay attention to the science and also like to survive that's cool there is another thing that's happening right now. Uh, one of my homies, we had a meeting yesterday, and she was saying that with you know everything opening back up and people having events at their homes, uh, in one of the groups that she's in, social circle she was in, there were some members of that social circle that were like, yes, we would love to come to your event, but you have to guarantee that vaccinated people will not be there. Because we're not sure if you're aware of this, but people who are vaccinated emit. <laughs> is this the shedding thing? This uh, is the uh, okay. Maybe you know this. They emit. They. I don't know what it is that they're emitting. That we are emitting because we're vaccinated. That we emit something to unvaccinated people that actually is detrimental to their health. Just being in our proximity because we're vaccinated. So, is this six G tech? What's the shedding? Is this what? Is this this sounds familiar? It got something to do with nothing. (laughs) (laughs) We're not about to in any way try and crack the code of stupid. And I mean, if you are going to take that lap around the block to talk about, oh well, actually, 
you could make me sick. So, nope, then stay home. Thank you anyway. Thanks for playing. What you should do is probably stay home all the time because one of those uh, vaccinated people might just walk into 7-Eleven behind you. Standing up because I'm upset. Yeah, you should be. That was silly. Look here, uh, new to conspiracy theories. You're messing it up for those of us that have put in the time with actual conspiracies and the theories, all right? UFO conspiracy theories, moon landing conspiracy theories, <laughs> the ones that are really serious, the real stuff. The real know? stuff. Underground cities, things like that. Well, they're there. Okay, right. You're coming with this crap, and there's just, I mean, don't muddy the water, fam. All right? We need to discuss the moon landing. Did it really happen? Don't muddy the water <laughs> with this <laughs> with this foolishness that vaccinated people are emitting something. That, I can't. I can't. Well, as a fully functioning 5G tower, I can tell you that I am emitting a very strong Wi-Fi signal. <laughs> very strong. Her calls do not drop. Not Her ghetto. Do is. recommend. <laughs> Five star. <laughs> Listen, we are tr- we're trying to let, let's get back to the real the real the real conspiracies. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> don't 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 mess us up with this. You know, I don't even know where you're where you guys are finding these. Where are you guys finding these conspiracies? Where are you digging these up? What about the weather control? Can we talk about harp? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't skynet, can we move right. forward? <laughs> <clears throat> well, I mean, before we do, uh <laughs> Calhoun this adorable kitten, Crystal said, is a heavy groper. Oh, wow. Calhoun does all the groping. Calhoun? Calhoun. With consent or? <laughs> is it con- Did you want to hop, hop into a music break? Uh, that sounds great. Let's hop into a music break. All right, Calhoun. I was made to love her.
ball So long to the cozy girl I took my head up to a place that only I can go I was so frightened that I couldn't wait I from such a strange mistake Oh no, no, I couldn't tell you by the way that she was treating me You're listening to X-Ray in the Morning with myself and Morgan Jones. I'm saying myself, but you might not know who I am. With DJ Ambush and Morgan Jones, be a part of the show. You can text us at 971-220-5979. That is 971-220-5979. Up next, the Justice Department has refused to protect Representative Mo Brooks from a lawsuit related to the January 6th insurrection. Just hours before a mob of white supremacists attacked the U.S. Capitol, Brooks stood on stage at a pro-Trump rally and encouraged the crowd to, quote, start taking down names and kicking ass. Now he's facing a lawsuit from Representative Eric Swalwell, who has alleged that both Brooks and Donald Trump violated Washington, D.C.'s anti-terrorism laws. Brooks had originally requested legal protection from the DOJ under the premise that speaking at the pro-Trump rally fell under his job description. But on Wednesday, the Justice Department stated that it could not, quote, conclude that Brooks was acting within the scope of his office. The agency also said that, quote, inciting a violent attack on the United States Congress is not within the purview of a representative or any federal employee. (laughs) Brooks will have an opportunity to persuade a federal judge to reverse the DOJ's ruling in the coming weeks. Hmm. I mean, do you think he's going to be like, no, but still, I need the protection? I mean, protection from what, sir? It didn't happen. There was, it was a picnic. I think it was um, a high school tour. Right. It was a tour. It was a civics class. Right. Is that what they're called now? That's, that's yeah. It was government when I was a kid. I mean, no Brooks. No. <laughs> no Mo. No Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> I get, I see what you did there. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't get to throw I mean, the rock and hide your hand. Yeah. Speaking of conspiracy theories, right? Like the idea that that was a tour and they were welcomed in and right. there was an NBD. Right. right. Um, that, I mean, we've said this on the show, I think a couple of times, that mm-hmm. the the fact that we have to have this meeting about a meeting on the thing that we all saw is wild to me. But I'm happy that they're doing it, actually, because letting them, letting these narratives get going and just run away um, and become real for so many people is just how we are still in these multiple crises. So, like, I'm glad they're doing that. I'm glad, I hate that people have to put their pain on display. Yeah. Is, Is there a way Am I being um, too sci-fi? Is there a way that we can get to a place where, like, news is just news and conspiracies don't become the actual fake news that then become the reality for so many people? Like, what is the pathway to just 
facts existing and I think you have to take the money out of it <laughs> like it, it, when there's moneyed interests in anything um, that's gonna skew what mm. gets you know reported if you're the you know owner of the Washington Journal mm-hmm. wait post <laughs> if the you're Washington the Washington Post yeah mm-hmm. yeah if you're the owner of the Washington Post and you are a huge um, labor uh, what's the word you're a disastrous mm. uh, boss mm-hmm. yes you can change that um, narrative you yeah. can say actually everybody loves to work at Amazon right oh. actually we don't do all the polluting mm. actually and so yeah there's there's we're, if you're not reporting the facts because the facts are go against your profit makes a lot of sense to me yeah, yeah. so we got to get away from like Sinclair Media too because that looks like that takes over your local news and it it's those trusted faces that you know and love all of a sudden telling you some crazy things and you're like well you know must be true must be true because they're my local news why right. would they lie to me right. why would they say something crazy known them for years yeah hmm. speaking of other wild stuff Mike Nearman pleaded guilty to official misconduct. Mm. The former state representative was charged with misconduct for allowing armed demonstrators into the Oregon Capitol on December 21st. His sentence includes an 18-month ban from Capitol grounds, 80 hours of community service, and $2,900 in fines and restitution for damage to the Capitol. He accepted the sentence in exchange for the dropping of a second charge of criminal trespassing. Nearman was expelled from the legislature in June, becoming the first Oregon lawmaker to be expelled from office. He pled guilty to official misconduct. Misconduct. After opening the door (laughs) for people to storm the Capitol. I mean, what do you think? That's not the tours don't come through the side door, Nearman. No. But he knew that. Right. That video still sticks out with me of seeing him open that door and just doop 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 doo doo get to right. whistle his way around the block while all these people are like, get inside. <laughs> the potential for destruction and uh, loss of life that he's responsible for by doing that doesn't fall under misconduct. Right. It just doesn't. So him pleading guilty to that, sure, that works. If we can knock this down to misconduct, sure. Um, even the charge of criminal trespassing. Right. Like, like what are we talking Silly. about? Silly. Silly. That I mean, he opened the door for domestic terrorists to come in and try and, you know, make right. their case known or whatever it is that they were going to do. Right. Um, 2900 in fines and restitution for damage to the Capitol. $2,900 for damage to the Capitol. Doesn't even carry. Doesn't even take care of the labor hours, right? That they're going to charge the state for whatever repairs need to be done. Like, like what is happening? What's the restitution to the the security forces that were trying to keep those people out? Do they get any restitution? Right. Where's they get team? a bonus, a little bump in pay. Oh boy. Hmm. 
They out here, man. They are wild. I think we got time for one last story. Yeah, a little uh, recreational racism. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag. Mm. Uh, Mount Tabor Park's bust of York has been toppled by vandals. The bust, which was erected unofficially and without any form of permission in February, was torn from its pedestal sometime between the evening of July 27th and the morning of the 28th. York was the only black member of the Lewis and Clark expedition. The bust replaced an older statue of controversial newspaper editor Harvey Scott that was torn down during racial justice protests last summer. It was announced last month that the bus was to be removed before the winter months due to its material being ill-suited for wet weather. Meetings were in the process of being pl- process of being planned to discuss what the bus successor would be. The statue had previously been vandalized twice since its mysterious appearance. Yeah. Um, I saw photos of this. Really bad. Really bad. They pushed it back off of the pedestal and smashed in um, the nose and did some damage to the top of the head so it's like listen we're not just knocking it down we're creating a situation where you can't just put it right back up mm. they, they they really you know they put some work into it and then they also uh, ripped off the plaque you know which told you well yeah because I don't, I don't want to know that story right Right. Yeah, this is um this is uh I mean I might be wrong, but I mean this is definitely falls in this definitely falls in line with uh was it Patriot Front? What's the name of those guys? Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah, they've been ramping things up. They definitely have. Um with some of the things we've been experiencing at the museum, um with the Black Lives Matter banner. Uh, with the mural being defaced on MLK, you know they, they loud and proud right now. Very loud, very proud. Putting their website up. Come see us. I just it's 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 a hard it's a hard pill to swallow and and and, and a place to be where they want the image to be peace and that they don't hate black people and there's a way that they can see through all of this where we can all actually get along however we're going to perform these acts of violence against black and brown lives but understand that you know this isn't hate don't don't qualify us and, and label us as a hate group. Don't label us as racist. We're not racist. We just would prefer to see less black people and see them honored and held in, in protected spaces. But we're not racist. It, <sighs> that's something else. Cool. Cool. Doesn't really work for me. It's pretty interesting to me that uh, just a statue of a young black person is so offensive to <laughs> racist folks that it's, you know, must be defaced. It mu- you know, a Black Lives Matter sign is just too much for me to see. Um, like, imagine. Right. 
Right. And then to frame it as if that's not racism is just like, LOL. Yeah, you're missing our point. We're not racist. It's just, you know? No, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> no. I don't. I don't know anything outside of this being racism. Yeah. Yeah. So let's make sure, you know, we in the media too, print and otherwise, call a thing a thing. Yeah. As Morgan Jones would say. Call, <laughs> call, call the thing a thing. Call it what it is. Let's be very clear with what we're dealing with here. So we can, you know, take the steps to uh, navigate it that much better. Oh, boy. You racist. (laughs) (laughs) We do have an interview up next. We are going to hop into a music break before that. But I'm excited for this next interview. Oh, me too. Yeah. Me too, me too. And we're sitting down with Audrey Keynes and Alan Kessler. But we're not ready for the interview yet. <laughs> we're, ready. we're ready for a lot of things, but not the interview. I'm excited to read the uh, introduction, but I don't want to do it. You <laughs> <laughs> don't want to jump the gun. You want to be a gun jumper. I can't be a gun jumper. Don't be an ambush. Not today. <laughs> I think we're almost ready. Yeah. We're going to hop into a quick music break. But she don't love me, that's news 
daughter the other day Well, that was weird She had rhinoceros-shaped Let's try this again. It's the end of the 21st century. You're a handsome factory worker with a striking resemblance to Colin Farrell, and you're tired of your 17-minute space elevator commute to work every day. There's a resistance and a colony, and you just want some artificial memories for a great, (laughs) for a secret agent vacation. No, wait, sorry. That's the wrong total recall. Mm. Today, we're joined by Audrey Keynes, the campaign manager for the Political Action Committee Total Recall, and Alan Kessler, the founder of the PAC. Welcome, Audrey and Alan. Hi, thank you so much. <laughs> Hi, good morning. Thank good, you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, people may have already seen your signs and you canvassing on the street, but give listeners a quick overview. What is Total Recall? What do they want and how how is it going so far? Yeah, so the campaign to recall Ted Wheeler uh, launched on July 9th of this year. And that then gives a 90-day window for a little over 47,000 signatures to be gathered to put Ted Wheeler's name on the ballot for a recall. And so we're about three weeks in currently. And like you mentioned, there's people all over town who are collecting those signatures. We have volunteers at events across the city. We have paid petitioners who are out on corners and around different areas to collect signatures and we have an outpouring of support from businesses as well who are hosting Dropbox stations so that people can get their signatures turned into us. So, so far we kind of have the city covered but we're still kind of ramping up and we're always excited about having more volunteers work with us. How, how uh, are you able to tell us how far off you are from the goal? So we have some internal milestones that we've decided upon, and as we hit those milestones, we'll be releasing those numbers. Awesome. This will be the first mayoral recall election in Portland's history, right? It's not the not the first one in history. It yes, is the sorry, first. the question if it will be the first successful one, because if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and there was also a successful recall that just happened in Oregon City. Oh. Wheeler won the runoff election last November with 46% of the vote. According to polls, only 13% of Portland voters have a favorable view of his performance now. Mm. What has changed since his term started six months ago? Uh, has nothing his. Go on. Um, nothing's gotten better. Uh, I think he's he's continued to disappoint uh, most of his constituents um, and it, it feels like now that the, the campaign has ended he hasn't even put, been putting up a pretense of wanting to be present or active in fixing the city's problems uh, I think the most uh, striking failure recently has been his absence in the last heat wave um, mm. turns out he was uh, attending a, a swim meet at an exclusive uh, athletic club and then going on a date to a family-style Mexican restaurant and taking photos of a plaster cow when his symptoms were (laughs) uh, dying in their homes of heat stroke. So very, very hopeful that his administration is about to declare an emergency for the heat wave we're going to have now, uh, just coming up today and tomorrow. Um, But yeah, his absence has just been uh, deafening. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's one thing to know that a person 
is not around, it's another to know what they're doing. <laughs> right. When that's what they're doing. And uh, I think everybody needs to just uh, be reminded of that kind of all the time. Like, because <laughs> that's enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned um, how people, you know, have just been disappointed. And disappointment in your elected officials isn't, you know, it's not new. Um, but to get to the point where we're doing a recall, I think it says something about what has happened. What are these major, serious issues that our city is dealing with in the wake of, you know, the just disappointment, you know, uh, houselessness, mental health crisis, the heat. There are so many things, the, 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 uh, the protests, there are so many things, so many different ways that he could have gotten his hands dirty, really just rolled his sleeves up and done anything. And it's not even about getting the job, getting the job done right every single time, but at least show an attempt that you're trying to get something done. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what would a potential timeline for this recall look like? Yeah. So the, the timeline is, like I mentioned, a 90-day period where the right amount of signatures can be gathered. And then when those signatures are gathered, they would put Ted's name on a ballot. And then there would be right before that there'd be a five-day window within which he could resign and if he decided not to resign then his name would go on a ballot there would be a simple yes or no for people to vote to recall and when people voted to recall him then there would be a 35-day window where his different responsibilities would be distributed throughout city council before there would be a special election and for that special election there would be a 30 to 90 day window when that would take place so it would be something that is you know already set up by the city um, so that things wouldn't be left unattended. And then there would be an opportunity for people to make a decision about who they want to represent them. Mm. Audrey, this is the third straight mayor in Portland to face a potential recall. What's different this time around other than uh, the public tried to recall Sam Adams and Charlie Hales? Yeah, the, I think... Go ahead, Alan. I think what was really different in this election was... Um, uh, Ted won with a plurality. He didn't get a majority of the city supporting him. He was way behind in the polls. Um, and this was the first election that had used uh, our new campaign finance laws, our new publicly financing camp campaigns, and our new uh, citizen-initiated uh, uh, campaign finance limits. I think 87% of Portlanders who voted in 2018 supported the idea that uh, you shouldn't be able to buy yourself an election and we should have mm -hmm. limits on the amount of money uh, that goes into these. In this election, Ted's campaign was almost out of money mid-summer uh, before, before November 2020. Um, and it was only because he made a loan to himself, violating the $5,000 cap in the, in the charter amendment that we passed instead loaning himself $150,000 hmm. and then having a uh, dark money super PAC spin up and spend another $600,000, mostly sending, in my view, misogynist messaging to the West Hills uh, to uh, clinch the election for him. So he pulled, pulled ahead from behind with a huge uh, influx of money, which was prohibited under the rules that the, the people of Portland uh, enacted just a couple of years ago. So he, in my view, cheated to win. Uh, 
And now that he's, you know, now that he has this ill-gotten office, uh, he's continued to show just the absolute contempt uh, for the population of Portland uh, that I think he's demonstrated throughout his campaign, but has gotten, you know, just even more severe. Mm-hmm. I, a quick question it, on, I mean, so obviously breaking the rules, how do you, how does that not get addressed in the real, in real time, you know, like as it's happening and we find out there's $600,000 of dark money, there's loaning yourself 150 grand, <laughs> uh, we we how do, how should that have gone? Is there a different way that we could have responded to that? Yeah. So there's a there's an office at City Hall. It's an, another elected official, the city auditor, um, is in the first instance responsible for enforcing the election laws. And in this last election, the auditor declined to enforce uh, most of the violations that Ted committed. So. He received a, a whole lot of money from wealthy interests um, early in the campaign. And because the Supreme Court hadn't yet decided on the question of whether the, the city charter should, uh, uh, should be held in place under the Oregon Constitution, it ultimately decided to uphold it. But the, the donations that were made before that date, the auditor declined to enforce. There was also a little window uh, after the Supreme Court uh, ruled that the, the campaign finance laws were legal, that the auditor said, well, I'm still not going to enforce for another week. And lo and behold, a whole bunch of money came in that week. Uh, the uh, city auditor said, well, you know, Citizens United, uh, so I'm going to, even though the, the, the loan isn't covered under the language of Citizens United, the auditor said, well, I'm going to hold off, you know, because maybe this law isn't legal under federal law. Mm. Um, that's not how an elected official is supposed to act. They're supposed to follow the laws that, you know, in the, the city charter or whatever governing document and then let the court sort it out. But in this instance, the auditor sort of put the thumb on the scale in favor of Ted at every single instance. Wow. Um, mm. And the, the pure fact is an election happens quickly. So unless the people who enforce the laws are acting with the right amount of speed rather than making everything get dragged into the court, um, there's really no way to stop uh, bad acting in that short timeline. Courts are slow. Um, yeah, so uh, answer a different auditor uh, would have enforced the law, and okay. I don't think we would have gotten the same results. Uh, in, the, in the future, I think we're going to have to uh, reevaluate how that's enforced as well. What are uh, some of the major challenges you guys face against this recall campaign? There's a lot of community support for this recall campaign, and that's something that we have really benefited from. There are people sort of across the political spectrum that have been engaging around this. And although that's true, there's also a, a, a really deep need to be able to reach those people and connect to people. And so something we've been really focused on is supporting our volunteers to be able to talk with people they come across on the street who aren't familiar with recalls. We've done a lot of political education leading up to the launch that we had in July, and that entailed just kind of putting on people's radar what a recall is and how it functions, and that it's important to sign in a certain window since we do have the limited 90 days. And so we've really benefited from having a lot of volunteers show up 
get trained, have the information, and get out there to folks. Nice. But this is something that is an awesome democratic tool to be able to use, and it's something that a lot of people are familiar with, but not everyone is. And I just want to make sure that I understand. This is physical signatures only? This is There's no online uh, arm of this at all? Yeah, so it's physical signatures, but fortunately there is a way to download forms online and then print them and then sign them and send them in. But okay. it isn't legal in Oregon to sign online. Hmm. Got it. All right. Is there anything else you guys want to add before you uh, wrap? I think we should let everybody know that if they want to sign and they haven't found a volunteer yet, they don't have to wait. They can go to uh, our website, which is at www.totalrecallpdx.com. And there are instructions, last I looked, they're front and center on how to find either the individual signature form or if you want to collect all of your neighbor's signatures, there's a form where you can become a, a, a circulator. Um, nice. So going to www.totalrecallpdx.com and downloading and printing the forms, uh, following the instructions on there to make sure that you know every uh, signature counts would be very helpful. Uh, there will also be instructions on there on how to join the effort. Awesome. Uh, that was Audrey Keynes and, I'm sorry, the campaign manager for Total Recall and Alan Kessler, the founder of the campaign to recall Mayor Ted Wheeler. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. All right. Up next, we'll hear from Alex Zielinski, news editor for the Portland Mercury. She's going to join us live on the ground at Laurelhurst Park. Laurelhurst Park. <laughs> I'm going to find my words. <laughs> we'll see you guys on the side of the break with the interview.
You're listening to X-Ray in the Morning with myself, DJ Ambush, and Morgan Jones. Be a part of the show. You can text us at 971-220-5979. That's 971-220-5979. We'd like to welcome Alex Zielinski, news editor of the Portland Mercury and friend of the X-Ray in the Morning. Normally, we have a longer introduction to this week's topic, but today Alex is coming to us live from Laurelhurst Park, where the city is planning to sweep up the homeless camp today. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. What do you see and uh, what's going on right now? Yeah, so I'm at uh, Laurelhurst Park, where on the um, south side of the park uh, along Southeast Oak Street, there's been a pretty uh, steady, uh, continuous um, houseless encampment for the past year or so on and off. And, um, and right now, the campers here have noticed on Monday that the city was going to come and clear the camp within, um, uh, they gave them kind of a 72 hour notice. And, uh, and that kind of has left us here, uh, Thursday morning where, um, a, a line of about 10 box trucks and followed by four police cars just kind of paraded, uh, paraded to the site and have begun loading, um, trash bags into back of the car, back of the truck and, and talking to folks here who are camping and um, letting them know that they're that they're here to clean up and kind of trying to help um, get you know uh, roused folks from from where they're camping um, a lot of people here are in the process of packing up or have already left um, but a lot of people are still you know still like waking up still trying to figure out what to do next. Um, a big question that a lot of people are asking uh, the staff who are here to clean um, and to sweep the, the camp is, okay, where can I go? Um, and the answer is really, well, you know, do you want to go to a shelter? We could um, move your stuff to a shelter or just not here. And, and so kind of the idea... <laughs> for some of these folks is, and they've done this before, is, you know, we're going to just move to another uh, another sidewalk, another spot by a park for a few days and then just come back, come back here. Right. Um, which legally they would be permitted to do. Um, but it just kind of shows uh, how temporary these, these big sweeps can be. Alex, the people driving the trucks right now, are these city employees or? They're contractors with the city. Um, uh, it's a business called Rapid Response BioClean, um, who has, has a contract with the city to uh, administer uh, camp sweeps. And, um, and so they, you know, de facto represent the city in a way, but they're all trained with, um, uh, knowledge of, of you know how to handle hazardous waste and how to um, and in, in some cases they have uh, people on staff who um, have lived experience of being houseless and and can like you know uh, have um, de-escalation training when it comes to talking to folks and okay and you know have some of those skills which is which is really useful in times like this. But um, at the end of the day, yeah, it's a, it's a, a team of folks who um, traditionally just do big waste cleanups. 
Wow. What has prompted the city to issue the evictions now? You yeah. know, since COVID is well, over, we might as well just do it. Or <laughs> right. Yeah. The number number of things. I mean, there's been some like building tension here at the park the last couple months. Um, there's a lot of attention from the neighbors who live in houses, house neighbors and the neighborhood association who really um, just don't like having, uh, you know, a street in front of their house kind of clogged with, with tents and with camper vans um, and have incessantly kind of sent emails to the city hall um you know, uh, complaining about this. And so that is, it's really on city council's radar. And at the same time, um, there is, uh, uh the plane going on overhead. Um, at the same time, uh, there, uh, according to kind of the, the city office that oversees, um, homeless sleep, that there is, um, reached a point at this camp of, um, just it not being being a public health concern, um, just the amount of uh, kind of waste and, and trash, and um, especially in the middle of a pandemic, there are some some structures and some kind of rules to follow as to you know how far camps can be apart from or tents can be apart from each other, and kind of um, cleanliness they need to follow. Uh, so that's a concern, and then kind of the straw that I think broke the book back was a report from. Um, one of the another contractor that that works in the uh, porta potties here was here um, uh, emptying a porta potty and allegedly, according to a police report, saw two people um, point guns at each other and like threatened mm. to to shoot each other, but um, but not you know not at that person, not at the, the contractor, um, but that enough raise concerns with the city to say, you know, this is no longer really a safe place to have people saying um, we need to, to intervene. So, Alex, you mentioned porta potties earlier, uh, just now, and I, w- I was thinking about that. Uh, has the city provided enough porta potties, and have they been doing any trash pickups? Is that a thing, or is it just we let things yeah, get to Yeah, they have point? Uh, mm-hmm. weekly, or at least even bi-weekly, um, trash pickups here that are also conducted by rapid response bioclean so they have a relationship with the camp mm. um and that becomes kind of uh you know that's kind of a staple of the uh the week here everyone knows when the trash pickups come and when the porta potty cleanings come um after the uh staff member with the, the porta potty team uh, allegedly saw someone carrying guns the entire um porta potty uh, business kind of uh, you know pulled out of its relationship with the camp here and immediately took their toilets away and so the city had to scramble to find a new provider um, but now there are more porta potties than there were before uh, there's a cleaning station um, one thing that's especially interesting I think um, because there because people in nearby neighborhoods know that there is there was a plan for the city to clear and to sweep this camp this week. Um, people who are living at the camp have told me that they've seen a ton of people driving through in cars and dumping off their just household trash um, kind of on the side of the corners here, adding it to 
you know, um, where the, the garbage cans are here for the camp, kind of taking advantage of, uh, there's been a lot of mattresses that have been dropped off and kind of bulkier mm. household um, waste that that is clearly not from the people who are staying here. Um, and so, you know, folks what? are kind of taking advantage of the, the mass cleaning to, to get rid of their the stuff they didn't want to take to the dump as well, it seems. Wow. Okay. You answered exactly what I was going to ask. What is the angle? It's right. just taking advantage of the fact that someone will come pick it up because of where it's located. Yeah. I mean, but then makes, okay. Wow. Oh. And, and, and uh, you know, adds to the, um, mess. To the, the mess. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and at the same time, a lot of people here are, um, feeling especially vulnerable because, they, for the past months, have been um, harassed in a lot of ways by neighbors and by people driving by. A woman was telling me how she, um, you know, just the other day, uh, some women drove by slowly and just filmed there with her with her cell phones and didn't say anything. A lot of people, it sounds like a lot of people in the neighborhood kind of just come and film and take pictures to mm. um, attach to their emails to city commissioners and complain. Um, which, you know, makes people living here feel like they're animals in a zoo and um, yeah. not not a, not a comfortable feeling. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine um, some of that footage is being used for YouTube content. Look what's happening to Portland. Yeah. You know, those videos. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you're there right now. What, what else? Mm-hmm. Are there any, like... Uh, confrontational um, situations happening right now. Is it pretty peaceful for the most part? Like, what's what's the what's the feeling? Yeah, in the there are some folks who are here um, who are uh, here to support kind of the campers, but are also, uh, you know, kind of um, yeah, coming into kind of confrontations with some of the the police who are here. Um, there's also yeah a number of Portland police officers here to make sure things go smoothly. They're not necessarily in charge of um, getting people out of here. They just, um, I think because of the concerns around safety and maybe there being weapons here, they are on site. Um, But yeah, I mean, there is, there are a lot of spectators kind of here just to observe their, the ACLU has several legal observers here Mm. and there's a couple lawyers. There are um, a few lawsuits tied to um, the, the process the city uses to retain property and to, and to clear um, property during camp. And so there are a few legal observers and, and lawyers involved in those cases here to observe um, and make sure that things are going properly and, and that people's property is are not being thrown away. Um, there was, yeah, some movement last night. There or yesterday afternoon, a local um, lawyer father or kind of made a, a legal notice in the court that there's they're planning on filing a wrongful death lawsuit against the Portland um, police and against Rapid Response BioClean because a woman um, uh, who is houseless uh, passed away in 2019 after um, uh, allegedly after Rapid Response cleaned her campsite, slept her campsite and took her medication. Oh. She couldn't access her medication oh, and it led to her dying. 
and um, I think intentionally timed um, a lawyer that have filed the first notice of that lawsuit last night uh, against the city and so um, that's kind of on people's minds here too you know how this how that how these different kind of legal um, uh, filings impact what's going on here today and just being here to observe what the process looks like wow Alex we appreciate you you know getting out there being and, on the ground being on the ground yeah thank you so yeah. much yeah of course wow stay safe out there can't wait to hear more yeah thanks have a have a good rest of your day you, you, you too. too thank you that was just Alex Zelensky news editor for the Portland Mercury and friend of X-Ray in the morning reporting live from Laurelhurst Park tune in every Thursday at 8:45 a.m. to hear an update from the Mercury right here on X-Ray FM you're listening to X-Ray FM at KXRY Portland at 107.1 and 91.1 FM streaming online everywhere xray.fm and that was news with my fiance brought to you by Morel Inc. Find out more at moralinc.biz. Today's show was possible thanks to DJ Ambush and Morgan Jones, producer Miranda Selinger, Carlos Molina, engineer Nebraska Lucas, and news on news, John Collier and Nebraska Lucas. Uh, shout out to everyone that did shoot us a text message. Looks like we may have got one more. Okay, all right. Iron Rome would have defeated Wheeler were it not for the writing campaign to rest Rayford and supporters launch after Rayford lost the primary. Mm, but we your guests have, to have moved on, another, and then. so will I. All right. Okay, okay. I was going to say, okay. we're going to have to circle back that around for another that. day. Yeah, yeah. Tune in next Thursday for more news of my fiance. Thanks for listening, and uh, stay tuned for Tom Hartman. Shout out. Across the floor